we're completely using the operating um, cash and that we were bringing in to invest in growth. And in hindsight, it was pretty risky. I was telling somebody today, like if COVID-19 would have happened to us in 2017, we would have been sunk because we were taking every single dollar we make and using it to hire the next person. And it was it was payroll to payroll. It's the only way I can put it to you. I would be looking at, you know, I would be waking up in the middle of the night looking at the bank account thinking if this check doesn't clear in three hours, payroll's gonna bounce. Welcome to Lit Up, a founder's journey. A show about the pioneers of the cannabis industry, the organizations they're building, and the lives they're changing. These episodes feature the founders themselves sharing their journey and creating the most impactful ideas of the new cannabis industry. Hey everyone, Brian Weber here. Question for you. What does reselling used golf balls, organizing weekend trips for college students, and fundraising for alumni relations have in common? These are just some of the things entrepreneur Carson Humiston did before founding the go-to recruiting platform in cannabis, Fangst. Joining us from Denver in March of 2020, Carson shares her founder's journey of hustle and perseverance, turning a stack of business cards made in her college dorm room into the name in cannabis recruiting. Here's her journey. Brian, thank you for having me today. My pleasure. My name is Carson Humiston. I'm the founder of Vangst, which is the cannabis industry's recruiting platform. So we're a two-sided marketplace. We connect candidates looking for jobs in the cannabis space, whether this means brand new people looking to get into the space for the first time or people that are have been in the space for a few years looking to make another move with the top cannabis companies. So we've made connections and matches in 22 states and actually six countries. So this the six countries, it was one in each of the six countries. So nothing, uh, I, I wish there was more. So we're primarily US, but have certainly relocated some candidates to different countries. And yeah, we're about to have our fourth birthday. Uh, you're about to have your fourth birthday. Congratulations. I appreciate the honesty and uh, the asterisk down there, but like it's, it's good to have those Im- impressive gross numbers in just four years. Um, what I really want to focus on, and I want to get back to the company in a bit, but I really want to go a little deeper on you and we get to, to know, you know the founder of this amazing company. Um, I know you went to school in, at St. Lawrence, which is, some people call it upstate, uh, some people call it almost Canada. Um, where did you grow up before that, though? Like, what was your, what was your childhood like? Sure. I grew up outside of Buffalo, New York, which, as you mentioned, some people think of Buffalo as upstate New York. And then I went to St. Lawrence, which was five hours north of where I grew up. But I grew up um, outside of Buffalo in a town called East Aurora, grew up on um, a golf course. And, you know, at, at night was running around picking up old golf balls and then cleaning them and then uh, trying to convince golfers the next day to buy them. So Definitely had the entrepreneurial thing going on in uh, my backyard. From an early age. Yeah. Was that fostered by your family? What were some of the things that you were you were into? And like, you know, what did your family look like? What were they uh, encouraging you to do? Yeah, my dad is an entrepreneur. He had owned a, a small business and um, started a few other businesses throughout my childhood and really liked really liked being around that, right? We, it was in, um, we had retail stores. And so opening new locations, the new stores, I would be there painting and putting up drywalls and helping him launch these new stores. So 
I really liked um, that aspect of, of the entrepreneur. But you know, I, I kind of think that entrepreneurs is like 75% DNA and then 25% the environment that you're in, right? If you have parents or people around you who are very encouraging of the entrepreneurial path, that sort of brings it out in you. But neither of my siblings are entrepreneurs and we had the exact same parents, the exact same upbringing and, and they've gone down different paths. So I think it's a lot of it is just DNA. You're either born to want to do this or you're not. So when you were growing up and you were painting the, the store shelves and collecting those golf balls, um, how old were you like when you were doing those kind of things? Like what was that look like? I mean, there's pictures of me in my dad's office, um, you know, when I can barely walk, right, running around the office. And so I think I was really around. I just Mm -hmm. I I really liked hanging out with him. And so, you know, anytime from that, I can remember when I could go into work with him and just hang for the day and walk around and talk to his Mm -hmm. employees, I would. So it's I really can't remember like my whole life. I remember being around an entrepreneur and, you know, always thinking of ideas and everything else. So, so, so very early on. So what were some of the other ones that you were growing up? I know in college you had a travel company, but what were some of the other endeavors uh, uh, hustling early on? Yeah, the golf ball one was a big one. Um, when that went on for a while. Uh, so basically, like I mentioned, we lived on a golf course, went to the, um, went to the pro at the golf club and was like, Hey, um, if I go and collect all these golf balls, can I sell them? And so they had to like take a vote at, you know, all these Did- stupid rules they have at these places. They had to take a vote and do this whole thing. So they finally agreed that on Mondays I could set up on the fourth hole and, and like the golfers loved it. Right. Cause you have like an eight year old selling golf balls and snacks to them. And so then I was able to have a second location. So my neighbor and really good friend Savannah opened, you know, ran my second location and um it was, was that just like, like on the 12th hole or was it like yeah, a different golf course? Um, it was it was um it was five and nine was okay the two, was the two holes that we had um was it was that the name of the company no i it was just called like carson's golf ball stand or something i don't we didn't really name it so i did that one um you know i did um like a lot of landscaping work for my neighbors so like would you know i would get in a way, I, when I look back on it, it was like reoccurring revenue because people would pay me $20 a month and every month I could go and pick the check up from them. But in exchange, I would walk around their yard and pick up all the sticks and sort of throw them out. And so I always had little projects going on. Um, my friends and I would make crafts and then walk around neighbors to neighbors trying to sell the crafts. And so it was just really always trying to do something. That's awesome. Yeah, I, those entrepreneurs... Uh endeavors I find come for a lot of people I speak to about this about from an early age. It's just that's their hobby and they can't help themselves in doing it and they get a lot of joy out of it. Um, so you're in, you grew up in, near Buffalo. Um, I personally grew up near in Rochester. So yeah. So um, I'm familiar with the upstate weather and you're like, I don't want to leave here. I want to go even more north. I want to go to almost Canada <laughs> now from other almost Canada to, to different almost Canada. Um, why did you choose St. Lawrence? You know, I got denied from a lot of colleges that I applied to. So I was very obsessed with the college process. I wanted to go look at as many schools as I could. I like um, loved like going and touring and like looking at um, I would always like to look at the gyms. I don't I don't know why. So anyway, um, I um, 
would love to go look at all these schools. So I looked at a lot of schools and actually I'm applied to 19 and I was denied from 14 of the 19. And so I find that um, hard to believe. I was like, yikes. Uh, It's very, I, I didn't have like amazing grades. Right. And so I just was like a B student and I sort of applied to stretch schools and I my SAT scores weren't great. Um, so I'm not a great test taker. And so, uh, yeah, I got denied from pretty much everywhere. And so then I was looking at the schools that I got accepted to. And I, you know, I really loved St. Lawrence. It was, it was, it, they had a great, the, the athletic facility was nice, right? There was indoor tennis courts there was a rock climbing gym and, uh, no, all around it, I thought it would be a great school. Like I really liked their study abroad opportunities that they had. There were some other things that were cool and interesting to me. And so I just said like, these, these people were nice enough to accept me. It looks like I'm going there. So continuing on the entrepreneurship thread up here, um, you had a travel company when you were in college. Is that correct? Can you go a little yeah, deeper on that? So, um, so I studied abroad between my freshman and sophomore year. And uh, I went to London. And when I was there, actually, I studied abroad twice. I studied abroad between my freshman and sophomore year in the summer. And then junior fall, I studied abroad again in Copenhagen. But this freshman to sophomore summer, Um, I studied abroad and there was all these study abroad, um, like travel type companies. And so basically they would say, Hey, these students that were in the abroad programs are being very heavenly targeted. So they would say, Hey, students pay $300 and go to Paris for the weekend. Obviously traveling around Europe is very easy. And so it's extremely discounted because you'd be sharing rooms, you'd be sharing transportation and buses, you'd be doing more group tours, but then in exchange you get there and there'd be kids from abroad all over the place in one, in, in one location. And so I did it a lot. My friends abroad did it a lot. And I thought there's really nothing like this, um, at home. And so at St. Lawrence, we would go to the same three bars in upstate New York when in fact, Ottawa was, was right there. Montreal was right there. Lake Placid was right there. So we decided to, to, I decided to start this company called on track adventures. And the first trip that we did was St. Lawrence Lake Placid weekend where, um, People could pay, you know, I think $60 and go to Lake Placid for the weekend. And that included bus, hotel room, some activities and like 300 kids went. it was a huge success. And then we realized we should try to take this to other schools. And so throughout um, the rest of my time in college, you know, spent some time doing that. But, you know, to be clear, like all these little mini businesses I had, like you don't have full time employees, you don't have an office. I mean, it's it's very much like a fun, honestly, hobby. So while I think it was helpful in leading up to launching Vangst, I would still very much consider myself a first-time founder in running Vangst. Like what you're doing in between classes in college and what you're doing, you know, in middle and high school um, is pretty low risk, right? Doesn't work out. You you're going to have 300 people pissed off at you because there's no bus to, yeah, to like exactly. bus and you're going to have to apologize to uh, to a bunch of people. But they're like, well, it was $69 or whatever else, you know, like yeah. forget about yeah. it. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, those lessons, though, did teach you the lessons of responsibility and organization and planning and budgeting and all those things. So definitely not to discount those at all. Um, did you have any other jobs while you were there or was that like your job? You weren't like working at the bookstore or... So, um, no, I did. Um, so freshman year or actually sophomore year, I did, um, this thing called calling all saints where you would call alumni 
and ask to donate, which I think really did help me once I started advanced down the cold calling path, right? Because you're just dialing for dollars. I did that. And then um, I was also a bartender at this um, place called the TikTok. What is that one, one of the three, three bars, bars called the TikTok? Okay. And I, I kept doing that throughout because, um, you know, it was, it was such a joke. Like I would go to, I would go to, I was in a sorority. So I'd go to a party with my sorority and t- my shift didn't start till 1130. So I'd go to a party, have a little pregame, get to the bar at 1130, make myself some drinks throughout the night. And then I'm just, I'm in a bar with all of my best friends, like, um, you know, giving away way too many drinks. And then it would end at 2 a.m. and I would have a couple hundred dollars. Um, so, so I would do that just honestly, like to That's stay entertained and like hang out with my friends and like be able to give people drinks. Sounds like you found a, a dream job for college right there. Yeah. So between that and the on-track adventures, um, I was, I was, I was busy. How many trips did you end up doing with, with on-track? Um, wh- what did that evolve into? And, and when you left, did somebody take it on? So when I, so, so senior year, the last one that I did was, um, Ottawa weekend, which was, um, which was a St. Lawrence one. And when I left, I had some, when, once, once, uh, we'll, we'll get into graduana, which turned into banks started rolling. I sort of didn't have time to the big, the big thing with student travel companies is passing it off. The, the reps, right? And so reps graduate and then you don't know anyone behind you. So if you don't have the process of, hey, you're an on-track adventures rep, you're going to graduate. Um, who is going to pick up for you and market this trip to everyone else? Then it sort of fails. And I, I got very busy focusing on um, Graduano, which ultimately evolved into Vanks. And so it, you know, some trips kept going, but it sort of just, um, And honestly, like towards the end of on track adventures, I was dealing with like drunk college students. And I kind of thought like, I kind of want the, it was really fun, but I kind of wanted the party to end um, when college ended. And so in the spring of senior year, when I started thinking about um, building this company in the cannabis space, that's really where all my um, attention started going. Okay. And I, I get that. Yeah, there comes a point and you're like, I'm, I don't want to be your babysitter. So time, time to move on. But it, it served a purpose. You learned a lot from it. And moving into Graduana, like that is now what is Vanxed. What was that moment like for you? And I'd like you to really share as much details as you can. But like, where did that idea initially come from? What year were you in? Where were you? What were some of the influences around you? Like definitely paint us a picture. Yeah, so it was so, uh, so it was senior, not sophomore. Whoa, it was, it was um, senior year. Um, my dad is in the trade show space and had been looking at starting a, 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 um, a cannabis trade show. So one of the one of the businesses that he's in is trade shows, and he had been thinking about starting a cannabis trade show. So so I, it's not like I'd never, you know, it's not like it wasn't like cannabis just like hit me in the head, right? And so I'd been hearing a little bit about it, didn't think a lot of it. And I sent everybody an email, all these people that were in the on-track adventures community, asking them what industries they want to get jobs in. And actually cannabis was the number one response. And so here we are, 2015, upstate New York, cannabis was legal in four states. Um, and people are saying that, they, that they're interested in jobs in, in cannabis. And I'd also been hearing about it a little bit because my dad was thinking of starting this trade show. And so... Um, yeah, I was really impressed by just 
like the types of companies that were in the space, right? From cultivation companies to extraction companies to retail companies. And when I asked the companies, are you hiring? They said, yes. And I said, what positions are you hiring for? And it was everything. So many different types of positions from a director of cultivation to a director of extraction to a retail store manager. I mean, you name it. And they were hiring these types of positions. So I like literally had like a notebook and I was like writing down all these different types of positions. Um, I went out and had um, business cards made. Actually, I have, you know, I can show. I, can show I would you. love this. It's yeah, we can throw this in the show notes too. Um, oh, that's fantastic. I would love so to this get is, a, yeah, yeah, so that was sitting on, so people, people obviously listening can't see it, but I have it in my office sitting on a, on a bookshelf. Um, I had this, I had um, this, like our graphic designer for OnTrack Adventures was just an out, outsourced person and said, can you just design a graduation cap with the weed leaf coming off of the side? And we're going to call this Graduana. It seems appropriate for the name. It really does. I couldn't think yeah. of any other logo. <laughs> yeah. So um had the business cards made, went back the next day and said, I'm, you know, I'm Carson with Graduana, can help you find an intern or a recent college grad. Um, people were like, all right, quickly rushed, quickly rushed back to St. Lawrence. I have all these pictures of myself in the St. Lawrence library making this website Graduana. I'm happy to send you some of those. You know, my friends are totally making fun of me for starting that Graduana. Was this um, all like on Wix or something that you just yeah, like threw on, together? This, one was on, this was on Wix. Eventually okay. I moved to Squarespace and now, I, you know, now we have a big engineering team. I think, I think the marketing site's on WordPress. Um, at, but, you know, at this point, this first thing was on Wix. Yeah. Did you and have so, any, any experience in staffing? Like, did you have no, any experience no, in recruiting? No, no, no. I didn't Not even at all. know what the staffing agency was. Honestly, when I'm starting this whole thing, you know, it really is a staffing agency. And I was just like, I'm thinking, I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure I thought I was like, oh my God, this is genius. I can connect people and make a placement off of it. Like how oblivious to staffing I was. That is amazing. So you were there the next day with a business card and I had a website up in like a few days or whatever else, but like you didn't really know how the industry worked, but that didn't daunt you though. You just no, saw the need. it didn't daunt on me, which is so concerning in hindsight, right? Like why did I think I could... Why did I think this was a good idea? But, um, you know, what you don't know can sometimes be a huge advantage and right. Um, lack of experience can have you think about things differently and take chances that um, people with more experience or more knowledge may not take. So, so I, I, you know, I get these jobs. I go back to St. Lawrence. I build this website, put some of the jobs up there. Um, I email everybody saying, hey, like you said, you wanted jobs in cannabis. Here's jobs in cannabis. I also put the jobs up on like internship.com and stuff just to see what types of, you know, um, people outside of my network I would get applying. Now I was getting legit hundreds of applications per job. So like when I think about it now, like the supply side was not a problem. Like I had so many candidates wanting to take this, you know, the one accounting internship in cannabis. So then um, I was like, okay, great. But like, then I was like, great. How am I going to get this candidate connected to this client? So like, Sure, I had met the client and like written down what their job was and like got their business card, but I didn't have like a contract or I didn't know how they would pay or like anything like that. So the actual gears of how like your industry works. Yeah, like how any of this would work. So now it's just like I have I know what they're hiring for and I and I put the job out there and I'm getting all these applications, but like I don't know how I'm gonna get that candidate connected to the client. So then I started like calling the clients and no one would was answering. 
So then I was kind of like, shit, like, all I just did all this. And now there's no way that I can get these people um, connected to these companies. And then I had to, I had to graduate. So I kind of like slowed down on graduate for a little while in the, because like this all happened in like March. What did that look like when you had to like, I got finals, I need to graduate. I would still respond to emails just being like, Hey, like stay tuned. Like I'm going to be focusing on this as soon as I graduate, like standby type thing. Cause like in my head, I was like, I just need to graduate and move out there and go back to these companies and try to like get them to like straight hire me rather than just tell me what their job is. Okay. So, okay. So mission graduate, you get like graduation the night before graduation and like all my friends and all our parents and grandparents are like all going out to dinner and everyone's going around like talking about these jobs that they have in New York city and like all these things. And then I pull out my graduate business card and basically all the other parents are looking at my parents like we're so sorry that your kid's going into the because like the cannabis industry wasn't like it like what it is today you know like so this was five years ago this wasn't a thing you were in rural part of you know uh upstate new york like it's a different world than what it is it's a totally different world exactly so um and this is also the east coast as well this isn't even like rural california exactly this is you know this is new york um was your dad was your dad proud yeah, he was, he was all about it. Okay. He was like, this is awesome. Like, don't get a job. Like you would be a terrible employee. Cause I also like there, I, I, um, I had done like a real internship between junior and senior year in Boston. And like, I, had, there, I, I, someone probably would have hired me at least to do like sales or something. So there was a part of me for a while that was like, should I be like, I actually, I never actually went and applied for a job, but I think I had probably had conversations like with my parents of like, I really want to do the entrepreneur thing. Like, do you think I should, do you think I should apply for a job? And my dad was like, hundred percent start your own business. Like you got this. So he was very much like in my corner, encouraging it. And you've had a great track record of that as well. That's awesome that they were so encouraging of that, even after paying for a four-year degree and you know, how are we going to figure this out? And you're like, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure this out. And you yeah. obviously had a passion for this, that you saw that there was a demand there. You saw that there was a supply there. And you've always been, from some of the some of the jobs that you've had, you've been a market maker. When did you pack up the car, load the lamp and laptop in there and head on out? I graduated and went home and recovered for a week after, you know, senior week was, was pretty wild. Um, and um, a week later, got in the car, moved out, um, didn't even have an apartment here. I lived in a hotel for two weeks. Um, which my, you know, I, there was a couple of friends who had moved here. There were a few grades ahead of me that lived in Denver. And so I moved out here and they're like, where's your apartment? And I told them I was like living in a hotel and they're like, okay, get out of the hotel. Like come live on our couch, you know? So all those friends like love, you know, kind of telling that first summer story because they sort of witnessed the building of, of the company firsthand. But anyway, I, so I'm living in this hotel. I'm driving around to all these customers who I had met, you know, a few months prior and said, you know, Hey, like you told me that you were hiring for this role. Like I posted it and like, look at all these candidates that I got as a next step. What I could do is I could interview them and then the best ones I could present to you. And if you hire them, it's $500 and companies were like, all right, set, give us a contract. So the first customer was open vape and, um, the guy's name is uh, Nelson Oliver. And I don't know if he's still with open vape, but he, said he thinks this is great. He's hiring an accounting intern. He will um, sign. 
So like, how, how big was Open Vape at that point? Like, were they like a few people at that time? Did they not have somebody to handle this? Or just like, sure, you know what? You knocked on my door. You got, you know, you got gumption. Let's let's give you a shot. I think they were pretty big. Like, I remember going to their office and being like, oh, my God. Like, they, I mean, he was the controller and they had, you know, a CFO and an accountant. And, you know, the, the finance team was at least five or six people. Um, Open Vape was in every major dispensary. Um, they they had a great brand. They they seemed like super. From my perspective, they seemed like so legit, and they were awesome to work with. So I think they were pretty big. So what what did that look like? You know, are you like literally knocking on the door? Are you sitting in the reception area with them? Like, is it a cold call? So what it looked like was that I had talked on the phone. Then he said to he said they were in to come by to talk about it and bring the contract. So I was like, I didn't have a contract, so I can send you a picture of what the contract is. It's like, this is not what a contract looks like. I basically, it's like a one sheet, like order form where you can like check a box. So I like went there to the, to their office, which was um, in Golden Triangle in Denver. Um, and I went there and went into his office with the contract um, for $500, $250 up front, 250 on the back half. He signed and they actually, they were they were paying in cash at that time. They paid me $250 in cash that day. That's amazing. Um, and now I was on the hunt to, to fill the accounting role. Um, at the same time, a couple more people, this company named Canaregs um, and Incredibles also signed up for the same thing. So now I had three active jobs that I was working to fill and were you still on a friend's couch or a spare bedroom or you were in the hotel so, at that point? I was off the... Um, so, so that happened in July. The first contract was signed in July, Open Vapes. Um, and no, at this point I had gotten my own apartment, just like a studio. And I had gotten one seat in the co-working space called Galvanize. So it was $300 a month, but at least I had some... Like I wanted to make sure I had somewhere to go in every day and to like socialize and interact with others so For networking purposes and sanity purposes too i'm sure yeah exactly um and i was busy like every single night i would try to go to a cannabis networking event there was tons of trade shows like um really like anyone that would talk to me like i would just go around booth to booth and be like hey i'm carson i'm trying to build a cannabis hiring company would love to um take you to lunch or buy you a coffee just to learn more about your experience finding your job in cannabis or your company's experience hiring like I think that summer I had more lunch, coffee, dinner, breakfast, drink meetings and going to happy hours and just shaking hands and trying to meet anybody that would talk to me ever. I mean, like I would have done anything to get a meeting with pretty much anyone. So yeah, I've heard, always heard the advice of never eat alone. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're yeah. in sales, never eat alone. So I, yeah, I, I didn't, I definitely didn't. So, so like I was really busy. Like, you know, I, I hear like a lot of founders like say like, it's a really lonely experience. And I agree with that, but like in the, in not in terms of, if at least for in my experience, I was not lonely. I was with some perspective customer candidate 24 seven and the summer like blew by. It's just you, you're running around, you're Googling contracts for uh, <laughs> yeah, basically placement and uh, you know, find and replace to throw the name in there. Um, when did you pivot from working in the business to working on the business? What did that look like? When, when, when did that happen? It's a good question. I mean, I was on a customer call before we did this. so um, That hasn't changed, of course. And obviously, 
probably even a better way to focus that question is, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, especially when you're a solo entrepreneur, you're wearing all the hats. But what were some of the first hats that you were able to take off and and and, and put on somebody else's head, at least for the most part? Yeah. So in October, um, I we I made my first hire named Jordan Smith, who's still with us today. And um, she's fine with me sharing this because she makes a lot more now. But at the time I was paying her $15 an hour for four days a week and was just like straight up writing her a check, um, which is like ended up being a problem when taxes came around. Um, so um, we clean, we cleared that all up though. But uh, I you, know, I just, you, know, you don't, you don't know, like you don't know, like you need to get a payroll system and you made it work. Yeah, we, you we weren't it. worried about those details. You're like, we'll figure that out later if so we we'll, survive we'll this. later. And we did. And so anyway, she, so the, so the, so what we did there was I would focus on getting the business and then she would focus on filling the business. And so we did that. Um, it was just the two of us until then um, May when we hired this guy named Kyle to help us with career fairs. So we were having a lot of luck hosting career fairs where companies would come and pay a thousand dollars to set their booth up. We were getting a ton of press around it. Um, we were like the world's first and world's biggest, in theory, cannabis career fair. So we were getting like lines around the doors on these career fairs. And so the idea with bringing him on was we would do them in Colorado, but we would start thinking about other markets. And then, um, you know, by, by, yeah, like I'm trying to think. So we had him and, you know, then, then it just really... From there on out, we were hiring a couple, you know, one or two people and you a had month. Enough, you had enough revenue from from business operations to be able to yeah to, to organically grow for for a little bit. And were you still focusing on I'm the founder, I'm knocking on the doors, I'm going to get our, our our client partner accounts? Was that your primary focus as as you were able? Yeah, to get the right I, house? I was definitely a sales founder. Um, so I was spending a lot of time with the with the customers. Um, you know, I think going into going into 20, you know, it, um, I say Banks was born in, in 2016, in May of 2016, because that's when we rebranded from Graduana to Banks, right? So we shifted from doing interns and entry level positions to, to higher level positions. And so it, that, that, that was when, you know, we brought on Kyle, he started with um, Banks and we started bringing on some more people. Um, but I would, you know, then going into 2017, we had about six team members. So in 2016, the company did 300K in revenue. So, so not a lot, but um, going into 2017, I remember on like the first day of the year, I said, our goal for this year is to do a million dollars. And everybody, you know, the people there like looked at me like I had um, 10 heads. But and um, you had six people at the time and you're like, guys, we got to make some money here. Let's let's go. Yeah, I said we're going to do a million dollars up from three hundred thousand, and and um, we beat that in twenty seventeen. So not to spoil the ending, but um, you know, but we we beat that, and then going into twenty eighteen, we had twenty people. So that was really a big year for us. And again, we had not taken on any outside capital. We're completely using the operating cash and that we were bringing in to invest in growth. And in hindsight, it was pretty risky. I was telling somebody today, like if COVID-19 would have happened to us in 2017, we would have been sunk because we were taking every single dollar we make and using it to hire the next person. And it was, it was payroll to payroll. It's the only way I can put it to you. 
I would be looking at, you know, I would be waking up in the middle of the night looking at the bank wow. account thinking if this check doesn't clear in three hours, payroll is going to bounce, right? And I'd put all my own money in it. You know, I'd we'd come close to missing it a few times. And so I'd put all my own money in and, uh, you know, I'd, I, I, I'm not going to go knocking down my friends and family's doors. It's just not really my my style. But was there any early seed money that you got from, I mean, besides from yourself, but like family, no. friends, nothing yeah. else. This was a hundred percent. I own and lead going into the seed, which the seed round, which we'll talk about. Yeah, right, I right. owned a hundred percent of the business. Um, and that was that. And so, you know, um, when I think about it now, right, there's a lot more pressure, you know, you, you're, you're really only accountable to yourself, your employees and your customers. Right. And so if, if you mess up, th- those are the people. I think once you take on external partners, right, you have an obligation to your shareholders to make this work. And so it's, it's different levels of, of um, pressure and interest. But 2017 was really the year that I believe that um, this could be a huge business, right? We were getting so many inbound leads. We were filling so many jobs. Our team was so excited. I mean, we were in an office the size of, you know, this room and we were crammed on top of each other. We were there at seven in the morning, staying until 10 at night, a bunch of 20, three to 26 year olds, you know, it was so you, didn't need, you didn't need much at that time though. It's like none of you guys, no. you know, probably didn't have families not to assume all that much. And like, you didn't, you know, you didn't grow into that excess yet. You're like, we're here, we're hungry, let's get at it and let's go. And this is super exciting. Um, when did that, so you, you, 2017 was your breakout year for you guys. When did you start believing like this could be something really big? Like besides, obviously this is a growing business. This is operationally. When did you really like have a moment be like, oh, oh, this could be like, not just big, but like really big. So I had the moment. So I was having the moment in the summer of 2017. But when I really had the moment was um, we wanted to build a job board, which was in, in, in looking back on it, really our first iteration of trying to become um, a tech company. And so we had hired one engineer, um, which was, you know, risky. Every other employee I had ever hired was, directly driving revenue. So we hired one engineer, actually two, um, but, but one was through Upwork and um, Mohammed. He was he, he still works for us, and he's in Pakistan. So it was one U.S. engineer and one outsource engineer. So we had two engineers, and we were trying to build what was going to be called Banksters.com, which was a job board. So it took us like four months, and we launched it in August. So, uh, and it got so much press. Um, you know, if you just look up banksters, you'll see like so many amazing media outlets covered it. Um, and 30,000 candidates made profiles on the first day. Wow. People wanting to get jobs. That's a great problem to have. Yeah. And so, um, I was like, Holy cow. Like I knew people wanted to get jobs in cannabis because from day one, from posting the jobs to my own network and to internship.com to throwing career fairs, you know, and having lines around the door, but like to see the response from the media and then all these candidates, um, we were at this point, we had moved out of WeWork and we were in our own office and um, we were just sitting there like all just like so shocked. Our at Mike, the, who's still with us, the engineer ran down the street and like bought champagne and we were like drinking champagne in our office and just like in hindsight, it was like so stupid. But like, I just yeah. remember that moment of being like, you know, I went you know, to home to my apartment that night. And I was like, fuck yes, like this is going to work. Um, 
I love that. I love that. That's not stupid at all. I think that's that's a huge win moment right there, and you're totally, totally acceptable to celebrate that. So you really felt like, oh my God, we really have something at this point, you know, when on, and that went. And how was the launch? Like, did it work? Like, there was no yeah. tech we're, failure. There was no glitch. There was no like, oh, you know, oh, Amazon and Google got hacked that day, and we were on AWS, and it went down with us, and it was just like some weird coincidence in the world. Everything went fine. Yeah, so we launched it technically at the career fair, which was in July. And so we had candidates that were coming through, like making profiles. And we had companies that were there, like posting their jobs. Um, and like there were some issues at the career fair, but it, they weren't huge and they were kind of fixed. And so it was launched before we announced, I guess, because all, you know we started working with a PR firm um, in July. And um, I remember thinking, is this too excessive to do this? But I told them, you know, we have this job board and they said, have you ever announced it or officially launched it? And I said, no, you know, we, we told our customers about it and we did it at the career fair. And they said, you got to make an announcement. You got to, this is going to get so much coverage. So I was like, okay. So we planned the day we were going to do it. You know, I didn't even tell the team because I, I figured we'd get one or two articles. And then, you know, like the next thing we know, um, it, it was on like now this and like getting so many views and um, so I'm like, CNBC and uh, Business Insider and Forbes and like all these major media um, outlets covered it on the same day. And so then that's what spiked all the inbounds and the team didn't even know that we were announcing it. So it wasn't So I could see like Mike in the background be like, our numbers are off the chart today. I don't know what's going on, right? Yeah, (laughs) Mike was like sitting, yeah, yeah. Mike would be a funny person to ask. Mike was like, what is going on? And then I was like, oh my God, we're getting all these articles. That's amazing. Uh, one area we may have skipped over, and I want to like really focus on this is when did you prompt the? What prompted the name change? And I, I get Vangst is uh, to the act of catching, um, but uh, what prompted that? Where did that come from? Yeah, um, you know, people were so Graduana didn't really describe what we wanted to do. Right, we wanted to connect. We didn't want to just connect interns and recent grads. So the name didn't really describe what we did. And um, I, I just like people were always laughing at the name. So I would go up and I would introduce myself and I'd say, I'm Carson Humiston with Graduana. And, and people would start laughing at me. So I wanted to be taken a little bit more seriously as like a, like a small business owner. And I couldn't do it with that name. So, you know, and, and I was kind of combating the issue of like everyone thought, you know, like, you know, everyone thought like, oh, this 23 year old founder, like this is a cute, funny company like that. I was sort of getting self-conscious about that. And so I thought with a more elevated name and brand, it would help. Um, it did. I don't I, I, look if, if banks was still called Graduana, I still think we would have had success. I, I, I it's about the team and now the product that we deliver. But I think that it didn't really capture what we do. It was kind of an amateur, funny, stupid name. And we wanted to grow up and be a real uh, business. That makes a lot of sense. Where did that name come from? Was this? Uh... Yeah. So, so once again, um, just kind of walked, stumbled into it. Uh, we went to this marketing agency called Canna Brand. Uh, they were a small agency in Denver. You know, I think they only charged us about $5,000 for the rebrand. It's a very on point name that they have. I mean, it really says exactly what they do. Yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> um, and so we were thinking about catch. You know, we were like, you're catching talent, getting hooked. And then we looked up catch and we realized that Vangst means catch in Dutch. And what I loved about it was that if you got placed, you could be considered a Vangster. So it had this community element to it. 
Um, and actually, in in one of our um, one time I was when in tw in 2018 when we went on to raise the seed round. I was talking to um, someone who ended up investing in our seed round, and he said, "Yeah, like no one who gets placed at Indeed is considered an Indeeder. Like think of all the things you can do with community." And so you know now we have bankster events and think you know there's ways for banksters to connect and if you get placed with us you get some a box in the mail that says damn it feels good to be a bankster congratulations on your new job so like there's a lot we could do with bankster so basically i was like banks bankster done and it, and it was done done right there uh url obviously was available right was that a purchase yeah, the URL was available actually only bankstalent.com was available and then eventually we hunted the person with banks.com down and like convinced them to sell it to us. I like that. Who came up with the idea of sending a box that says, damn, it's good to be a vankster? Um, and what was that meeting like? <laughs> yeah, it was my idea. Um, this was before we had a marketing team. So now the marketing team comes up with way better ideas than I can. But at the time, we didn't have a marketing team. So I came up with it and like, I just said, hey, here's what we're doing. And people kind of just, people, like I, I've had so many kind of out there ideas that people now just kind of like look and then kind of like go okay. with it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, everyone was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Sounds like a really smart Talk idea. What was the first time in your company that someone like really said no to an idea that you had? <laughs> um, well, you know, I think if you fast forward to, um, well, now we're in 2020, but in twenty. You know, so in 2018, I'm sure we'll get into it. We raised the seed round. In 2019, we raised the Series A. After the Series A, one of the things we wanted to do was hire an executive team, a management team, and um, we did. And and um, at that point, you you have an executive team, right? And the executive team is in place to not only help um, come up with the strategy and the direction and the ideas, but then execute on it. And so I really started getting uh, pushback on things once I had. And not pushback in a bad way, right? But just challenging ways to think about things. Once I had people um, on the exec team, right? These are people who are um, in their late 30s, early 40s, and have been around the block and have built companies before. And so I wouldn't necessarily, you know, there's not one time where I was like, I really think we should do this. And other people were like, no, we really don't. I, I can't think of an example there, but, you know, just an everyday in everyday interactions, right? One person says one thing, the other says the other, you sort of have a, um, a conversation about it and you move forward. Yeah. What was, um, what was it like? When did you hit that point when you were, I need to raise funds to do what we need to do bigger from here and to catapult the company? What was the evolution of that thought process? And, and how did you come about to that decision of like, yeah, we need to go after VC funds to, to really bring the company where we wanted to go? Yeah. So, you know, leading up to doing um, launching Banksters, the, the job board, we were really just a manual staffing company. And um, every launch Banksters, that, that was, you know, it's cool to have a small tech leg, but we were getting all these inbounds from our clients around on-demand employees. And so being like, I need trimmers for 10 days. And when we were looking into setting up that business manually, it was it was very people intensive. Like you would need like hundreds of recruiters, like, I mean, you know, uh, buy some scheduling tool. I mean, there was just a lot that went into it. And I, I thought like, you know, what if there was a platform where a company could post their gig and then candidates who were vetted could apply to the gig, right? And kind of have that be an extenuation of the platform that we had built. 
And when I started looking into like what that would entail to build that, I mean, you have to hire a full engineering team and it's going to take six months to build before it'll be ready. You need a customer success team, you need a larger sales team, bigger marketing team. So on the tech side, in order to do what we wanted to do, which I thought would lead to, you know, as many matches and connections as possible, we need a larger um, tech team and there's going to be a lot of upfront costs before that would start generating revenue. So that was one. And then two, just like expanding faster, right? We were, we were primarily Colorado based, starting to dip our toes in California, which we thought was going to be the most important market, but really needed to have a sales team there and um, sales team in some other areas. So when I started thinking about raising capital, it was really just, wow, I really believe we have something here and it could be even bigger if we add more technology to the business and put some fuel on the fire. And so that's when um, I started, I started thinking about it. Okay. Was there other thoughts behind that besides obviously, and those are extremely rational business growing thoughts, but was there ever a need that you felt to bring in along with money comes advice and experience and, and, you know, people who've either raised businesses before, you know, worked within this industry as well. Was that part of the calculation as well that I'd love to have a a sounding board for, for some of these ideas to help guide the business? Yeah, it definitely was. And I don't think, um, I realized, um, how important that would be until we have it, you know, there's, and, 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 and not all investors are equal, including in, on our cap table. But there's a couple funds that are in banks that now I truly cannot imagine banks without, right? And being able to rely on their experience and their network has been game changing and a huge advantage to us and one that I know that our um, competitors don't have. And so I, I knew that going in, but I think until you experience it, you don't know how important and valuable it is. So to answer your question, yes. And in moving forward, um, it's really become important to us. How did you go about sourcing out that VC? And I'm sure from your uh, days of asking for money uh, to denote to the uh, to the All Saints up in St. Lawrence, how did you go about that process? Yeah, so I was pretty lucky in the sense that there's um, I had a lot of inbounds from cannabis investors. And so at the time, you know, cannabis was really starting to take off and there was a lot of cannabis specific funds opening up. Um, I also had a really good friend named Ryan Smith from LeafLink. Um, and, you know, I think you've interviewed Zach. I interviewed Zach, yes. Before. And Ryan um, thought it was a good idea for us to raise capital. So he made some introductions. And so um, I had some inbounds from cannabis investors. And then Ryan had made... Um, some introductions. Um, so I started out with only cannabis investors in, in the mix and um, had great conversations out of the gate. And, and I, you know, I think my deck was below average, but I explained what we did and I would go to the meetings and be authentic and be myself and just say, Hey, here's what um, it is that we're looking to do. And it was very much not in a begging for money way, right? Banks would have continued on without outside capital. You already had a proven business model. You had organic growth. Yeah, we would still be sitting here likely having this conversation. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I think that the way that I went about it was, here's the opportunity with additional capital and some partners. Um, So started getting term sheets. And then Ryan introduced me to Lara Hippo and um, the partner there that he, or, um, the person there who he introduced me to is named Andre, Andrea Hippo. She and I had an awesome call and uh, thought, wow, this would be the tier one best seed investor that you could ever get. 
this would be so amazing if they invested. And, and you so left that I call. Started, you left that call like jazzed up. Like this is it. It was a really. I thought it was a great call. Yeah. And so, um, so I started pushing the cannabis investors off because really wanted them to lead the round. And so ultimately, ended up doing a call with a few other people in their firm, and then they said, um, as a final step, come to New York and meet us. And so I was, you know, pushing the other um, investors off because I really wanted uh, Lair Hippo to work out. So, um, yeah, I went to New York. This uh, I, I had a meeting with one of the partners one day, um, another partner the next day, and then went to lunch with Andrea. And she told me they were going to give um, send us a term sheet later in that day. Sent the term sheet. Um, we signed it, and then. Um, they were the lead, and then we had space for um, we had a little bit more space to bring in some of the other cannabis investors who we had talked to, and ultimately Casa Verde um, came into the round, and and then we closed, and then we we had closed the two and a half million dollar seed, and we were off to the races. So that was what the process of raising the seed was like, and again, totally lucked out because Lara Hippo has just been an um, an awesome partner to us. So very happy that. Um, Ryan made that introduction and that, that ended up working out. That's, that's amazing. And obviously you executed from that, able to develop your platform for, for the gigs. HR is, is a very regulated industry as it is with different states having different laws and different regulations and how, and especially working in a state like California that is already heavily regulated as is. How did you go about managing complexity with what you do in those environments? It was hard, like particularly launching gigs in California. Um, no one had ever done temporary labor in California. And so we had to go through all types of hoops to get the workers compensation, like dealing with the state fund and like, how do we classify these workers and getting certain licenses. And so, I mean, it was, it was just like a lot of grinding. I mean, in a lot of following up and being persistent and we, you know, I think we did a good job of lawyering up, right? I mean, I think that that was something that we took seriously because we wanted to make sure we were as compliant as possible and doing this the right way. We're operating in a federally legal industry and the industry is already getting a lot of scrutiny. And so being above board is something that's always been very important to us. And um, so it was just like a lot of time and, and diligence and making sure that you're checking boxes and, and, and operating compliantly. Did you uh, integrate that a lot into your software to make sure that those compliances were built into your your practices? Particularly on the candidate side. And so different states have different rules and regulations around who can and can't work in the space. So in Colorado, you need a med badge. Um, you go to the marijuana enforcement division, you apply for the badge. They do a background check on you and make sure you're a Colorado resident and then you're issued the badge. And so like when you make a profile, you take a picture of the badge and we on the back end verify the badge with the marijuana enforcement division. And so partnering very closely with um, people like the marijuana enforcement division of Colorado. Uh, so yes, like there's, there's certain elements where we have worked it um, into the platform. You know, we verify our clients licenses to make sure we're only working with licensed operators so that our candidates are working in places that are insured. Um, you know, just those types of things stay above board. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And do you view that as a competitive advantage to other platforms that are out there, like LinkedIn Jobs or Indeed or uh, some of the other but, ones that are out there, that you guys are so vertical specific within this industry that you totally. know this more than any general generalist could? 
Yeah, I'm a huge believer in verticalized hiring marketplaces and really owning the space. And, and as time goes by, I think there's lots of other areas where we'll be able to help our customers, whether that be, you know, um, training for, for a great example of something that we're looking into now. So, yeah, we know the space better than anybody um, in the world. And we place more people into cannabis jobs than anyone into the world. And a lot of companies trust us to help them get the right talent, the compliant talent that they need to, to run their business. And um, I would say it's a competitive advantage, yeah. Definitely. So for right now, you guys do gig work. Um, you guys employ those gig workers and then you could have them into, go into the other company. What is the other makeup of the business you know, as of today? So yeah, so today we connect companies and candidates in two ways on the full-time side. If a company's looking for a COO, right, we can help them get connected to the full-time. And then on the gig side, if they're looking for 10 bud tenders, 10 trimmers on demand, they can make those hires through our platform. Um, we have a new version of the platform coming out that allows, um, that I'll keep you in the loop on, um, that allows customers to hire those same temporary bud tenders full time. So you have access to vetted, screened, ready to go um, talent. And um, you can um, make the match full time, the same as you do on, on the temporary side. But yeah, really at the end of the day, right, we're here to help clients um, make great hires and candidates find great jobs. And so whether that be an hourly job, a salary job, a temporary job, we have a solution to, to get those people into the jobs. Now, the industry is old enough right now that you can have people who have matured up through this industry, that they've developed these skills and they might be going between you know different ones in there. But I'm assuming there's a lot more inbound still from other industries, even as 2019 has been a tough year for, for your industry. And I also saw that you guys have a, um, uh, a salary guide sheet that you guys put out. Mm -hmm. What prompted that? And is that like another vertical for you guys as well, as far as, you know, information on this industry specific uh, that you guys are selling to different resources? Yeah, so it's our second year doing our annual salary guide. So we surveyed over 3,000 cannabis companies around the U.S. to get an understanding of the top 10 positions hired, what the pay is. And then we broke it down. Um, uh, we broke down ranges and we broke it down based on location. And so really it's just a tool that, um, you know, we think we're, we're positioned really uniquely in the sense of we're filling so many jobs in the space. And so um, what are tools that we can give to our clients? And so um, our clients reference that very often, right? When I, when, when we look at our, when we talk to our clients about their 2020 hiring plan, they're referencing our salary guide, right? We are the thought leaders in this category and therefore it's our job to be putting this information out. And so this year we, we have four um, guides coming out, you know, last year, we did the women in cannabis, women and minorities in cannabis, where we took a look at that. Um, we did the salary guide. This year, we have four one per quarter special reports um, coming out, again, to just be tools and resources to our clients. Totally um, free, doesn't cost anybody anything. And uh, we think it's valuable to them. And I think they agree. Yeah, I reviewed that a few months ago. I thought it was uh, well put together. Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's been very helpful um, for myself. What are what are you looking forward to? What are you most excited about for Vangst in in the future? Uh, and then we'll get to some wrap up questions. I know we're a little over. If you have to, uh, if you have to run here soon. What am I most looking forward to? I mean, there's so many more states that are going to come online, and that means so many more jobs that need to be filled, and so. And, and, and so much expansion to be done in, in states that we're in. And so we're looking forward to being in states from day one and help, you know, our, our goal is to have 
every uh, job in the cannabis space filled through banks. And um, that's what we're working towards every day. And, and there's a long way to go um, to, to, to getting there. And there's a lot of new states that are going to be coming online that we're excited to get staffed up. That's that's excellent. Well, I hope New Jersey and New York are uh, are, are. I do too. Are, I would yeah, love to spend more time on the East Coast again. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely. Uh, it's it's been much debate around here, and I, I think with all the jobs that we're going to need to create here real soon, I think that's going to happen hopefully this year. So, um, I super appreciate your time. I have a few quick roundup questions, and um, uh, a very open one, and you can do whatever you want with this one. Is what do you need from the universe right now? It's really easy to get focused on all the negative going on right now for good reason. And so for for this to wrap up and people to be able to move forward positively and excitedly, right? I, I think that any good startup, a lot of what makes it successful is the positive energy and the excitedness in the running around and the moving and shaking in the chaos of it. And so um, to get that back, is is during times of COVID is is sort of what I miss. I like that. I like that. How are you trying to actually? I'm going to do a quick follow up on that. Working remotely, how do you try to inspire that as a leader in in your team? And I know we're using Zoom today. A lot of yeah. people are using that as well. But like, what are some of the things that you're doing internally, and also maybe even recommending to customers? Only like a week into all of this now to to keep that energy alive with with some of your startups. We do, we're doing a lot of Zoom. We're trying to over-communicate things like virtual happy hours. Um, you know, last night with my friends, we all bought like painting supplies and we did like a virtual like painting and wine party. And so just like wanting to do things like that with the team to keep everybody engaged, right? When you're all in your houses, straight up quarantined um, is what we're doing. Talking about wins that we're having, talking about what we're hearing from our customers, talking about success or success placement stories, you know, how someone who was just laid off, we help them find a gig, right? Really being louder about that internally than we normally would and sort of spreading um, the good news of things that are, that are going on is, is something that we've done. That's really good advice. Yeah. I've been doing a few of those things too, but those are, those are a lot of fun. Um, where a few generic ones is where do you get your news from and, and who, what do you listen to as a leader within the cannabis industry? Uh, Jeremy Burke from Business Insider is a cannabis-specific one that's pretty good. Benzinga, MJ Biz, um, I, I, I follow their newsletter. So, yeah, those, those are the cannabis newsletters that I that I follow. And, you know, just talking to the team and our customers, I mean, that's the best way to get um, information on what's going on. I've stopped watching our publicly traded companies, stop following some of the, the high level news there because it's just so up and down and all over the place. And I know it'll even out eventually that you, you can't, you, can, you, you can't follow that anymore. That'll uh, give people all anxiety right there. So yeah. I always ask those questions because I always love to have, see what founders are listening to. And it's a lot of the same answers. So um, last question I have is how can people connect with you and, and Vangst? Sure. So people can connect with me on um, Twitter at K and people can connect with Vangst at Vangst.com. Fantastic. And apply online, create a profile. And uh, if you're interested in the industry, and the, I know that they have a ton of resources in my research and, and joining the industry as well, you guys have been invaluable. Thank you for listening to Lit Up, a founder's journey. Links from today's episode are available in our show notes. 
If you received any value from today's episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. You can connect with us on social media at Lit Up Founders or email us at feedback at litupmedia.com. I'm your host, Brian Weber. Thanks for sharing the journey.